first journey part seven of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain first journey part seven twenty first next morning the people took it into their heads to come in such numbers that i could not employ them all as the work was directed only to one point there was warm debating on the subject but as i would not spend one farthing more than i had promised from the first they agreed at last that the pay should be divided amongst them all and thus instead of forty men i had eighty for the same price which was less than sixpence a day the anxiety to see the inside of the temple and to plunder all that it might contain brought the two brothers on board very early in the morning they soon gave me to understand plainly that all that was there was their own property and that the treasure should be for themselves even the savages began to lay their account in the division of the spoil i assured them that i expected to find nothing but stones and wanted no treasure they still persisted that if i took away the stones the treasure was in them and if i could make a drawing or likeness of them i could extract the treasure from them also without their perceiving it some proposed that if there were any figure discovered it should be broken before i carried it away to see the inside of it thus i plainly perceived that on entering the temple i should not be at liberty either to take notes of what was in it or to make any drawings much less to take away any statue or anything else that might be found we went on with our labour however and as i made a palisade with the palm-wood i had bought i had no need of so many men as they had only to clear the space between the palisade and the temple in the course of the morning two of the men left the work and went down the nile to our boat finding mrs belzoni on board with only a little girl from the village they were rather impertinent to her and attempted to go on board in spite of all she could say to them intending to rob the boat at last she presented a pistol to them on which they immediately retired and ran up the hill she followed but they mixed with a number of their fellow-savages and it was impossible to find them out for they were all like so many lumps of chocolate seated on the sand at work and not to be distinguished the one from the other at night when i paid the men the catch's brother said the money must be counted all in one heap before it was divided among the people my interpreter who was also my treasurer accordingly counted the money on a piece of a ragged shawl which he had no sooner done than the catch's brother threw himself on it and seized every piaster the men looked at each other but no one dared to say a word about it and he took it away with him i observed to him that his magic was much more sure in its operation than mine for obtaining money but i was pleased to find they had begun to know the worth of it all so well i naturally expected that no one would come to work the next morning but in this i was mistaken as much of the sand had been taken away the first palisade was insufficient i made another therefore directly before the place where i supposed the entrance of the temple to be to prevent the sand from falling against it i now began to perceive clearly that this work would employ more time than i could spare in that country and the period i had meant to dedicate to it was already elapsed but this would not have deterred me from proceeding and no doubt i should have accomplished my undertaking had it not been for a material cause which compelled me to quit the work for a time 
this was the want of that very article which a few days before was so despised and unknown and now i absolutely could not proceed without it it was money which even here had shown its usual power among mankind of exciting avarice and of which those wild people soon became very fond i had some water brought up from the nile and poured down close to the wall over the door this stopped the sand from running till i had a hole made so deep that i could perceive it required a longer time than i could stay and more money than i could then afford i had by this time removed so much sand as to uncover twenty feet in the front of the temple the colossal statues above the door were completely exposed and one of the great colossi sitting before the temple on the north side which was buried in the sand appeared with his face and shoulders like his companion on the south having obtained a promise from the cacheff that he would not let any one touch the place till my return which would be in a few months i contented myself with putting a mark where the sand was before i commenced the operation and after taking a drawing of the exterior of the temple quitted it with a firm resolution of returning to accomplish its opening we brought our boat to the village and after making some trifling presents to the cacheff set off the same evening we descended the nile rapidly as the current was very strong which was a fortunate circumstance for us for we were almost without provisions on board two hours after we left isambul a turkish soldier on a dromedary hailed us from the right bank of the nile but without attending to him we continued our voyage he turned back and followed us a considerable way and when he came to a place where the current brought us near the shore he fired a pistol as a signal to stop we were greatly at a loss to conjecture who he could be as it was not to be supposed that a turkish soldier would venture alone into this country at length as we drew near the bank he said he had letters for me from the bay of esne this was not true he produced two letters in arabic signed by two different persons not in existence which ordered me in an insolent tone of command to desist from any work i might have begun in nubia and return to cairo the reason why these letters were sent to me by whom and for what purpose is one of those mysteries which for the present must remain unknown the soldier came on board and sent the dromedary back by his servant for in that country every soldier has a servant to take care of his camel horse or asses if he have any thus when a body of five thousand men marches against an enemy there are always at least six thousand people more to encumber it and eat up the provision for not only every common soldier has a man but every officer has two or three and those of the higher rank as bays cacheffs and so forth have ten or more as the current was so rapid the next day in the evening we arrived at ibrim and early on the day after at deir i went to see the temple but in a cursory way reserving my observations to my next visit we took in some provisions set off immediately arrived in the evening at nobat and the next night stopped at el kalabja here we visited the temple a second time but rather too late for much inspection mrs belzoni went to see the women of this place of whom an account given by her will be found in the appendix next day we visited the two temples at todfa my humble observations on which i shall give in my next voyage in nubia 
here a barbarian armed with a spear and shield called to me to stop which i did as he said he had something to communicate he demanded my money in a resolute manner and with a savage look but when i made the interpreter inquire of him if he demanded the money per force or as a voluntary backsheesh he laughed and ran off continuing our voyage at cardasse i saw the remains of some very extensive buildings and of some quarries where a small chapel is cut in the rock containing many greek inscriptions which i regretted i had not time to copy we came next to gambi where on the east is a small temple but almost even with the ground and a few figures and hieroglyphics on the stones this temple that of deir and the one opposite isambul are all i have seen on the eastern side of the nile above the first cataract we came down to debud in the afternoon and went to see the ruins of that place next day brought us to shellal or first cataract the soldier of Deroe, who brought the letters, set off immediately, and I never saw him afterwards. I took particular notice of a large obelisk which was lying before the Propylaeon, and which, if brought to England, might serve as a monument in some particular place, or as an embellishment to the metropolis. I sent for the Aga of Aswan and a Reis, who knew the channels in the Shalal, and in the meantime took a general view of these superb ruins i observed in the southern part of the island the remains of a small temple quite in ruins with blocks of stone scattered here and there and remarked that a part of the remaining wall contained the legs of several figures in basso relievo finely finished i examined the blocks that had been thrown down from the wall and found they contained the remaining parts of the figures which had formed a group of seven in all when the aga and the reis came i made an agreement with them to have the obelisk taken down the cataract but for want of a boat it could not be effected that season the obelisk is twenty-two feet long by two wide at the base so that it required a pretty large boat to convey it it was agreed and perfectly understood that i took possession of this obelisk in the name of his britannic majesty's consul-general in cairo and i gave four dollars to the aga to pay a guard for it till my return i entreat the reader here to pause and to recollect what caution i took in securing this piece of antiquity as he will find in the course of this volume that the obelisk in question has caused me more trouble and persecution than anything else i succeeded in removing from egypt indeed it nearly cost me my life and for such disinterested exertions i received in return the meanest insults unfortunately such was my situation in egypt that some of the very people i had to deal with though i was acting for the credit both of their country and of themselves could not restrain the impulse of jealousy which they nourished in their breasts and which always operated to my disadvantage in a future work that i intend to lay before the public i shall unfold these matters so that any one who has common feeling will wonder how i could persist so long in my researches under such circumstances the blocks of stone which formed the compartment of fourteen feet long and twelve wide were twelve in number when they were put together on the ground they were a beautiful group consisting of the great god osiris seated on his chair with an altar before him receiving offerings from priests and female figures the whole surrounded by flowers and hieroglyphics 
the blocks were three feet six inches long and three feet wide but as they were two feet three inches thick they were too bulky to be embarked whole as they could be easily cut being a calcareous gritstone i made an agreement for one hundred piastres to have them cut to six inches i left the money in the hands of the aga and it was understood that these stones were to be embarked by the first opportunity of a boat and sent down to luxor the aga hinted that he should be happy to know what i meant to give him for permission to take away the obelisk for though i was authorized by the firman of the bashaw to take what stones or statues i pleased yet these fellows think they have a right to demand something and if they cannot openly refuse still they have it in their power to throw such obstacles in the way as to entirely defeat your undertaking it was agreed that he should give orders to the sheikh of the island to guard the stones and the obelisk so that no one should injure them for which guard as before stated he received four dollars and that on the removal of the obelisk he would receive three hundred piastres equal to thirty dollars next day the twenty seventh of september we came to aswan by land just one month from the day on which we first entered that place on our arrival we were informed that there were no boats to take us to esne and in spite of all our haste we were obliged to wait till some came from the north we therefore took another tour in the island of elephantine and on the next morning i set off for the granite mountain about two and a half hours southeast of aswan i took an arab of aswan with me as a guide and walked about the greater part of the day i saw a great many granite quarries which plainly showed that the ancients took the granite intended for the temples statues and ornaments from these places and in one of these excavations i saw two large basins in the rough cut out of the rock one of which was ready to be taken away as it was nearly finished it appeared to me by what i could observe that the pieces of granite were procured by cutting a line with a chisel about two inches deep round the stone intended to be removed and then by giving a great blow with some machine which separated the part like glass when cut with a diamond in this basin were pieces which plainly showed the fact of this operation on my return towards the west i was fortunate enough to find a column lying on the ground with a latin inscription as in the annexed plate it proves that the romans used to take granite from these quarries and no doubt chiefly for religious purposes like the egyptians on my return to aswan no boat had arrived and i became impatient for i wished to reach thebes we were seated under a grove of palm trees eating our soup of rice and meat with the aga when an arab came to him and whispered in his ear as if he had something of great importance to communicate the aga rose though his dinner was not finished and went away with the air of a man of great business half an hour after he returned accompanied by two other persons of distinction and the old man who came before they all seated themselves round me and after introducing the affair with a degree of caution i was asked whether i wished to purchase a large piece of diamond i considered that i was no diamond merchant but in a case like this i would have contrived to become a jeweller and have procured the money from esne if it had been to my advantage for in the times in which we live jewels are no despicable articles if they can be obtained at a cheap rate 
i told the aga that if the article were good i would purchase it if we could agree but it was necessary that i should see it he said the piece had been found by one of the natives of that place and as he was not in want of money it had been preserved in the family for many years this original proprietor being now dead his successors wished to dispose of it i requested to see it so we retired some distance out of the way of the people the old man then with great solemnity took a small wooden box from a pocket in his leathern belt in this was a paper which he unfolded after that two or three others till at last he opened the sanctum sanctorum i took its contents in my hand with no small degree of expectation but alas how did i look when i saw it was only part of the stopple of a common glass cruet of the size of a hazelnut with two or three little gilt flowers on it all my hopes vanished and as the others were anxiously observing my motions they could not fail to see disappointment so strongly marked in my countenance as decided their fate and destroyed their great expectations of wealth from this invaluable jewel when i told them that it was only a piece of glass the words affected their minds like the unhappy tidings of some great misfortune they walked off in solemn silence not without giving me an inquiring look to learn whether i were really in earnest but i also shared their disappointment and no smile on my face could give them any hopes another day passed but no boat appeared at last i thought of bespeaking two camels and proceeding to esne by land with mrs belzoni and the interpreter and letting the janizary remain there to follow by the first boat and bring the implements we should leave behind but when the aga saw that i had taken this resolution he sent for a boat which was hidden about a league distant and there were two or three more concealed in other places i found that all this was done to keep us a few days in that place for the benefit of the town strangers being of course obliged to spend money while they were there after the boat was hired at a great price i found it belonged to the aga himself and the captain or rice told us afterwards that he ordered him to hide it to compel me to give what he liked for the hire of it some travellers give us the notions they have formed of the arabs and berberies but it is to be observed that there is a very great difference in the manner in which different persons travel and the methods pursued in going through a country may afford one more opportunities of seeing and judging than another a traveller who has all the accommodations possible and nothing to do with these people but in passing can never judge of their ideas their system of conduct and their rapacious manners for in the little interval and the limited business he has to transact with them they do not appear to be the people they really are some travellers even receive civilities with which they are mightily pleased without having much time to discover that the very persons whom they suppose to be naturally civil are so only to serve their own interested views they pass on and in their journal of remarks just say that they were received civilly at such and such a place but let a traveller deal with them in any transaction where their interest is concerned and where their execution of any undertaking is required he will soon find that in every point they are the most cheating people on earth their deception is extreme a traveller passing by a village stops his bark for an hour or two what good people he finds 
some bring him a small basket of dates others a few eggs another some bread and milk with which he is so pleased that he immediately gives them five or perhaps ten times more than the worth of what he receives without being aware that it is through such an expectation they bring him these things but exclaims that in europe they do not treat a stranger so civilly but let him take the smallest of these presents without giving anything in return or even no more than it is worth they will not fail to murmur at him if he give only double the price they have the art of returning the money with scorn and contempt in order to shame him to give more and if he take the money returned or give them nothing from the beginning he must not expect that they will let him go away without paying them for what they brought him all this is unknown to a traveller merely passing by for there is no one in this character who would be so mean as to accept anything without returning double or treble its value from these trifles it may be presumed what they are in all their dealings to-night one word for such a thing to-morrow another their intrigues are beyond description they have the art of making one thing appear like another so well that it is very difficult to avoid falling into their trap there are two extremes in travellers one who is just arrived has never before been in the country and of course has no knowledge of customs and things cannot see one-fourth of what he should see the other is so thoroughly initiated into their customs and manners that those which shock at first sight lose their effect on him he almost forgets his own ways and does not reckon anything he beholds extraordinary or worth attention though perhaps even of the greatest consequence at last after settling all my affairs with the aga and satisfying his demands of oil vinegar and some empty bottles we left aswan in the morning of the twenty ninth and two days brought us to esne the current being very strong khalil bey was not there and his hasender or treasure did not know anything about the orders which were sent to me in nubia but on seeing the bay some time after he said he never sent me any such on the morning of the fourth day we arrived at luxor i set off next morning in the same boat to guinea arrival there the next day and went to see mr sokener a person whom i knew and who served me much in this business we went to the Kachef, who could not give me a boat in consequence of a fresh order from cairo to press all boats that passed and i was therefore obliged to dispatch a courier to cairo for an order from the consul to obtain one on the seventh in the morning we were preparing for our return to gornon when the courier came and said he had been bitten by a dog and could not proceed on the journey i was not pleased at this circumstance as it tended to retard the embarkation of the bust and sent immediately to seek for another courier but could not find one we lost the whole day in this manner and i was nearly despairing of success but repairing the next morning to the kachef i begged him to give me an order to press a courier and he complied immediately for he was of a very different caste from the kachef of Ermans the courier received his dispatch about noon and was to go and return from cairo in sixteen days all was ready for his departure and he was on the point of setting off when a large boat appeared which brought measures jacques and caliad two agents of the french consul who were going to aswan on inquiry i found that the boat was at liberty to be engaged after it arrived at aswan 
accordingly i bespoke it of the race before the aga who made him promise not to retract his agreement fortunately the courier had not yet set off and there was now no necessity of sending to cairo as i was assured of having this boat on our arrival at thebes the boat happened to be fastened to the bank where the colossal head was i will not waste my time in describing the remarks made by the two french agents of mr d on seeing the head suffice it to say they positively declared in spite of the evident mark it bore on its breast that the french army did not take it away because they thought it not worth the taking on hearing of my fortunate success in collecting several valuable pieces of antiquity their dragoman a renegade frenchman observed to me that if i persevered in my researches i should have my throat cut by order of two personages one was the cachef of Ermans, and the other i shall not mention at present i told him i was greatly obliged to him for his information but did not believe any one would make such an attempt they went to visit the soldiers who lived in the tombs among the people at gorma and assembled several arabs of that place before the two agents who told them plainly in my presence that if they sold any article of antiquity to the english party they would have them well beaten by the cachef of ermets who commanded over them from this moment i perceived that i should have much opposition and many difficulties to encounter but as my stay there was to be short i did not regard them and continued my business mrs belzoni was lodged in the house of an arab at luxor the same day i went to karnak and set twenty men at work on a spot of ground that i chose according to a simple calculation i made of which i shall have to speak hereafter i re-embarked for esne again as i had to conclude the contract with the race of the boat and to pay a part of the money as earnest the two frenchmen were on board also we proceeded during the whole night being favoured with a good strong wind and arrived at esne the next day at noon i hope the reader will not think that i employ my pen in useless accounts or to make a display of the difficulties i encountered in my operations merely to enhance any merit on my part on the contrary i can assure him that i study by all means possible to be brief and not to insert the least thing but what is necessary to be known i went to the house where all the owners of the boats were assembled who at first were of one accord that it was impossible to put the head on board the boat alleging that it would break it to pieces if such a mass of stone were placed in it they then strove to persuade me to leave the stone as they were disposed to believe that there was no gold in it and if i took it and found none after i had spent so much i should lose all notwithstanding their simplicity when i persuaded them that no accident would happen and that i took all risks upon myself they did not fail to ask me an enormous sum for the hire of the boat i was in a dilemma fearing that if i missed this boat i might lose the high water which would have obliged me to wait till next year and in a country like this changing from one day to another its government and way of thinking i did not know what might happen i therefore thought it best to secure myself from any future extortion and give an enormous hire for the boat this was three thousand piastres equal to seventy-five pounds sterling from that place to cairo after all this was settled and half the money paid down the boat was to ascend the nile as far as aswan to unload at that place and to return immediately 
i sent my janizary with some presents to the aga and some trifles for Asien katchev to be forwarded to him at istanbul by the first opportunity from aswan to that place thinking by this trifle he would be convinced that i intended to return to that country to finish the operation and be induced to keep his promise not to let any one undertake the accomplishment of what i had begun the janizary was likewise to take on board the twelve stones which i left there to be cut and so forth when all this was arranged i set off for thebes at night and arrived there the next morning on my arrival i went immediately to karnak to see what had been done the day before by the twenty men here reader was the beginning of those discoveries which have caused me so much trouble not from the exertion and arduous labour required in these researches but in the atrocious persecution they have drawn on me from malice jealousy and envy to such a degree that to this day the very goddess fortune who has been apparently so propitious to me i had reason to call barbarous and unkind notwithstanding which i did not relinquish my understanding till i reached the accomplishment of my wishes let me add that i have further enterprises in view which i hope will convince my adversaries that their persecution has had no other effect on me than that of strengthening me to persevere in my undertakings had i not determined to stand like a pyramid defying the wind against all their numerous attacks which poured on me like a torrent i should not have been able to proceed even from that commencement on the other hand i must acknowledge that at the moment when i was persecuted on one side i received marks of kindness and good wishes on the other and fortunately thank god the well-disposed far outnumbered the others though few like to enter into or interfere with matters which do not concern themselves many travellers of various nations at the time of my researches witnessed that the greatest difficulties i had to encounter were not in the discovery of antiquities which i consider the smallest part of my task but in controlling the complicated intrigues of my enemies and false friends i am more inclined to excuse count forbin as the erroneous and false accounts he gives are so confused and contradictory to the facts that he openly exposes himself to ridicule and contempt than to pardon some others who should have been above such paltry proceedings the works at karnak were begun when i returned from esne but nothing was found and there was no likelihood of finding anything the place whence the french had taken their lion-headed statues at the time of the invasion is where a temple stood surrounded on three sides by a lake it faces the avenue of the great sphinx to the north and not a single wall or column remains standing on the exterior side of the wall are several fragments of the above statues which were there before the french army invaded egypt but they made some excavations on the east side of the temple and made discoveries the fruits of which are now to be seen in the british museum they having been captured at sea the count de forbin asserts that after all these sphinxes had been discovered they were covered up again by some french gentlemen who superintended the work but the count did not mention the names of these persons for he knew very well that no such thing ever took place 
the account he published of the statues which he acknowledges to have been found twenty feet below the surface and backed by a strong ancient wall was taken from my own letters which i gave him myself in cairo of which i shall have to speak hereafter and which he promised to give to the world as they were instead of this the only use he made of them was to throw all the facts into confusion and prevent the real truth from coming before the public now to more obvious facts according to a calculation i had made i dug on the west side of the temple where no one had ever made any excavation before nor did any traveller previous to me take anything thence but that was in sight the earth bricks and stones were so strongly cemented together by time particularly on the surface that it clearly proved the ground never to have been touched from the earliest ages in the course of a few days i discovered about eighteen statues six of which were perfect and among them a white statue as large as life supposed to be of jupiter ammon which is now also in the british museum i here beg leave to make an observation which i hope will convince the world of the false statements of the count de forbin the french consul monsieur duette who had been making researches for fifteen years in that country and who was naturally attached to the interests of france had been to thebes twice previous to my arrival in egypt how was it that in the course of so long a period he never came to know from the natives that such statues had been found there by the french and covered up again and how happened it that the person who covered them up never mentioned it to him or to any one else even after a general peace took place we should suppose that as soon as the seas were cleared of the english cruisers whose watchful eyes did not let even a water-rat pass into france there was no fear that these statues should have been taken and thus a second loss incurred but independent of all this there was nothing to prevent mr druette from bringing them safe to alexandria as he did other antiquities which were the sole object of his ascending the nile i should not enter on this subject had it not been for the petty means which have been employed to depreciate everything i have done and which are a compound of erroneous assertions that i believe originated in the volcanic brains of count de forbin himself the place where i found these statues must have been the interior of the pronaos but there were many others in various places and it is difficult to determine their original stations in another temple at gournou which is yet unknown and of which i shall speak in this volume i found several statues of the same sort and by the pedestals it appears they were within the place surrounded by the columns the same may have been the case in this temple the situation in which i found them was by no means their original place and it was clearly to be seen by their irregular positions that they had been brought thither in great hurry and confusion some brick walls had been built as if to hide them from the destructive hands of an invader and the white statue lay among the rest in an irregular manner end of first journey part seven